0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Blue Ridge Church of Christ podcast. My name is Phil Bruns, and thank you so much for taking time from your day to be with us. You know we're so excited to continue part two of our three-part series based on a Jesus follower that we find in the book of Acts, chapter 6, 7, and 8. His name is Philip, and he teaches us how to group and to regroup in our life, which is a skill that is paramount in every area of our life. But if we have the ability to do it well it is a game changer we're going to talk more about it next so let's go no one ever likes to regroup it's hard processing and sometimes working through bad memories or current difficulties different situations in which we need to regroup no one enjoys that but if we can better understand the idea of grouping As we talked about last time uh, in Philip's life, and the idea of regrouping today is going to help us, not just in our Christianity, but literally every area of our life. We're going to become better employees. We're going to become better spouses. We're going to become better people and better able to process uh, different challenges that come up in our lives. It will literally change our lives for the better. As I said earlier, the idea of regrouping is paramount. But if we have the ability to do that well, it is a game changer. Last time we talked about Philip and the idea of grouping and his, uh, his, his uh, process of following Jesus, of choosing to be a follower of Jesus, of picking up his cross and carrying it every day and heading uh, towards Jesus, following Jesus with his eyes uh, on Jesus as he lived his life. And the idea of that grouping really helped him in his life later. You know today we start, uh, start uh, talking about regrouping and we're going to actually start in Proverbs chapter 3 with the scripture that you might be familiar with but you may not know that it is actually about regrouping. I'll be reading out of the NET version today and starting in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5 it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will make your paths straight. Very popular scripture. If I walked into a Christian bookstore, I'd find it on a coffee mug, or I could find it on a uh, picture frame with a picture of the mountain in, in the background. The idea, we, we love that idea of trusting in the Lord with all of our heart and that God will take care of us and help lead us forward. But you know, this Proverbs, as great as it is, actually assumes two different things. It assumes that one, that there is forward motion, that we are growing in life, that we are growing in our faith, that we are living with purpose, that we are moving forward, that we're not the same person today as we were last week or last month or last year. It assumes forward motion. Secondly, it assumes that there needs to be some correction. It assumes that there needs to, let me read it again, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he will make your paths straight. You know, if we stay in the same spot, we don't need to trust. So again, it assumes forward motion. And then there needs to be some correction. Since it is God that is actually straightening the path, it may go to an unexpected place or an unexpected direction that I may or may not want to go I may be wanting to head east and it actually takes me to the west or I might want to go north and fully think that yes north is the way I need to go in fact the path that God takes me on actually might take me south It's never fun to get redirected. It's never fun to get detoured. It's never fun uh, to have your path straightened, believe it or not. For instance, if you're driving on the road and all of a sudden you see some orange barrels and you see a great big sign that says, road closed, detour sign to the right, what does that mean? It automatically means that the place that you wanted to go that you were headed to now is a longer path to get there. And every time when we're driving and we see a detour sign or see a road close sign or see men and women there with their signs of of uh, construction signs and, and we we get sidetracked with a s- construction sign, we almost always get a little bit irritated. It's never fun. And in life, those kind of things happen. And sometimes we find ourselves blaming God or sometimes we just finally get, it just get spiritually stuck right where we're at. And we see a road closed sign we see something in front of us where where there's not uh, not the door not the path where we thought it was going to go and sometimes we get spiritually stuck right there in front of the detour sign we see this proverb come alive in Philip today and we are going to use it as a basis uh, as his life and we're going to use it for a basis of our lives of going forward in Acts chapter 6 we are introduced to this follower of Jesus Philip. And he has a friend named Stephen, who also uh, was chosen as one of the seven to fix a, a problem where uh, some of the widows were not being uh, fed. And uh, and Stephen was another man who was full of faith, who had good um, uh, good rapport, who had, had a good reputation, and was full of wisdom. And he was very helpful in the solving the problem of the Hellenist window, uh, widows uh, getting shortchanged on the food Distribution. In Acts chapter 7, we find Stephen uh, before the religious leaders, and he essentially gives a short history of the uh, o- Old Testament uh, before them and explains to them how they have uh, again repeatedly, not just them, but their ancestry, had re- rejected the Word of God, had always rejected God. And of course, the religious leaders were not too excited about that, and at the end of chapter 7, Stephen is killed by those who are listening to him talk. It's an incredible chapter. It's an incredible moment in the time and the history of Christianity. But as we focus on Philip, we're going to start actually in Acts chapter 8 today, right at the end of that story where Stephen is being stoned to death. In verse 1 of Acts chapter 8, it says there was a man named Saul agreed completely with the killing of him. Now on that day a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were forced to scatter throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul was trying to destroy the church. Entering one house after another, he dragged off both men and women and put them into prison. Now those that had been forced to scatter went and proclaimed the good news of the word. Philip went down to the main city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds were paying attention with one mind to what Philip said. As they heard and saw the miraculous signs he was performing for unclean spirits, crying with loud shrieks were coming out of many who were possessed and many paralyzed and lame people were healed. So there was great joy and that city. What an incredible moment that I'm sure Philip would never forget. You know, the common thing about any situation uh, where regrouping is involved, and I'm sure that you've experienced this, common thing about any type of situation at any time is that there is always a closed door. There's a roadblock. There is a detour sign. There is something that stops you from doing what you were intending to doing or something stopping you from going from where you were intending to go. And so every situation of regrouping, you have this kind of situation. And this is what Philip is faced with in the stoning situation with Stephen. Imagine what he was enduring as he was scattered. He had to pick up and leave his home in a moment's notice. I mean, he lost his home. He lost his way of life. And now he was under the threat of his life. And also had just lost his dear friend, Stephen. Had we talked to him a few days earlier, I I think he would have been doing fine. I think he would have been happy. I think he would have been, um, you know, maybe at ease. But all of a sudden it says that the Bible teaches that these people were scattered, that they had to leave like right away. They were forced to scatter. Jerusalem was now a closed door for Philip. He couldn't go back out. He couldn't go back. He had to leave his home. He had to leave his friends that were there and move on. Samaria was the open door. That's where he was going to head. I don't know if they decided that or if that was just... The first town that he came to to stop, it's about 40 miles away or so from where he was in Jerusalem. But as mentioned, you know, that Jerusalem was a closed door. And you've probably had situations where there was a closed door, where there was a situation that you needed to regroup, maybe at your company. In the business world, companies are always forced to regroup. Companies are always forced uh, to change. And if they don't change, if they don't Change what they sell. If they don't change their offerings, if they don't get better, if they don't uh, move quicker, oftentimes they find themselves going out of business. And current way of business doing business doesn't works today, but doesn't work tomorrow. And this was a situation much the same where Jerusalem was just a closed door, and Samaria was the open door, and that's where Philip lands. a lot of times. When these closed doors come, especially spiritually, when obstacles kind of get in our way, it often leads to anger and frustration. We get upset that the door isn't open, and we go, move to start blaming people. We move to start blaming God. We move to different things, and we're upset that this door that we think should be open, that our way and our way of thought tells us that that door should be open isn't open and we get frustrated or we get angry and sometimes after a while that anger that frustration grows into bitterness and it seems odd but sometimes we will stand at the same door for a long time beating on the door trying to get on the door when actually there's another one that's 10 feet away that is open for us but we need this door To be open, the one that we were heading to, the one that we thought was the right one for us. And we get upset and we stand at the door and beat on it and knock on it and try to unlock it and try to get through the door when it's simply just a closed door because God is in fact trying to straighten your path. But it's hard to understand that. It's hard to see that or sometimes we just get sidetracked sometimes we're not even looking for open doors we're on our our path God has been straightening out for us we kind of forget and kind of uh, ignore that and forget that God's working in our lives and other things start to catch our interest other st- things start to get in our view other situations or we get bothered by situations that are out of our control that have nothing to do with us Yet they take and consume so much of our energy, so much of our thoughts. And regardless of the situation, we can sometimes find ourselves blaming God who is trying to straighten our paths versus the one who is actually trying to destroy our faith that we read about in John 10 verse 10. We have an enemy that is trying to destroy our faith. We have a God that is on our side trying to straighten our paths. And sometimes that just simply involves closed doors. As we read about Philip and his move to Samaria, Jerusalem was simply a closed door. And the open one was found to be in Samaria. For Philip last week, We talked about him picking up his cross and following Jesus. You know, it is a journey, as we read about in Proverbs chapter 3, that there are paths involved and that God will straighten them. It is a journey. Philip followed Jesus' teachings. You know, if we're not following the path of Jesus' teachings, there's really no reason to trust in him, as Proverbs 3 says if we're at rest all is good who needs God when we're content with right where we're at and our thoughts sometimes turn that way but if we aren't following Jesus if we're not on that path if we are not moving forward in our faith we find ourselves doing okay but if we are following Jesus's lead then we need to trust, then we need to trust that the path is, in fact, being straightened for us. Philip was in Jerusalem, and then it just goes haywire. It was all good. They had fixed the problem with the widows. Everyone was happy with it. Everyone was content with it. And then it was the spirit working through Stephen that we read in Acts chapter 7 and the resulting murder of Stephen and everything went haywire. Philip, being a Jesus follower, he clearly trusted and clearly centered his life on Jesus. And no wonder, as you read through the beginning of Acts chapter 8, where it doesn't seem like he skips a beat. Where he was preaching about Jesus, where he was sharing about Jesus, living the life of a Jesus follower in Jerusalem, the very next sentence, he is doing the same in Samaria. There is stuff out there that's trying to stop you, that's trying to distract you. There is stuff out there trying to block you from seeing where Jesus is taking your life. where Jesus wants to take you spiritually, where Jesus wants to take your path. There are things that are trying to distract you from that. It could be things in culture, things in the news, things at your job, things at your school. The question to ask is how successful is it? How successful is your enemy in trying to distract you? Well, how do you know Well, it shows in your time of prayer or in the ministry of Jesus? Are, are those things compromised or are they just not really not that much? Or are they totally gone? When you look back in your last week, your last month, of just your time in prayer to God, what does it look like? Are you looking for an open door or are you angered that doors seem to be shut, frustrated that it's harder than what you thought? Or sometimes we even give up on putting ourselves out there for God, putting ourselves out in faith, stepping out of the boat, so to speak, for God. And we can get frustrated with that. Guys, we cannot let our most faithful days to be in the rearview mirror. Seeking the open door is growing in your faith. Seeking the open door because this one in front of you is shut Is growing in your trust in God we cannot let the glory days of your faith be in the past to be in the rearview mirror do not let the enemy steal your faith that's such a great thing about God because he gives us the example of Philip and many more to emulate that we should trust God because we are actually sticking with Jesus and moving forward looking for the open doors if there are closed ones in front of us i'm reminded of psalm chapter 25 and verses 4 and 5 where the bible reads make me understand your ways o lord teach me your paths guide me into your truth and teach me for you are the god who delivers me on you i rely all day long you know so many times our mindset gets stuck on what we can't do because of the closed door that's in front of us. I want to urge you to think about what you can do. What door is open for you? If you feel stuck, if you feel you're at a detour sign, if you feel you're at a road closed sign and you don't understand why it is, keep looking for that open door. Let God straighten your paths for you you have that in your control and that's what you can do today so the first thought about Philip today was seek the open door secondly the thought of seek the help I'm going to continue reading back in Acts chapter 8 I'm going to pick up in verse 9 says, now in that city there was a man named Simon who had been practicing magic and amazing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. All the people from the least to the greatest paid close attention to him, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid close attention to him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he was proclaiming the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they began to be baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after he was baptized, he stayed close to Philip constantly. And when he saw the signs and great miracles that were occurring, he was amazed. Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. These two went down and prayed for them so that they would receive the Holy Spirit. For the Spirit had not yet come upon any of them but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on the Samaritans, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now Simon, when he saw that the Spirit was giving through the laying on of the apostles' hands, offered him money, saying, Give me this power too, so that everyone I place my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could acquire God's gift with money. You have no share or part in this matter because your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that he may perhaps forgive you for the intent of your heart. For I see that you are bitter, bitterly envious and in bondage to sin. But Simon replied, you pray to the Lord for me so that none of what you've said may happen to me. The story of Philip in Samaria is incredible. The circumstances, of course, that we just discussed a minute ago that took him there. The murder. The being forced to scatter. Friends scattering all across the land on a moment's notice. Philip himself landing, of course, in Samaria. And then all of a sudden, the people there accepting the word of God. You know, it almost seems like there was a surprise in that. And of course, uh, the people in Jerusalem and the people in Samaria have a long history of tensions between them. And so perhaps that was some of the reason of the surprise. But it goes so well in Samaria for Philip that Peter and John make their way to there from Jerusalem. Now, we're not going to get into the theology of Philip baptizing the people, but it is actually Peter and John that are actually the conduit for the Holy Spirit to the Samaritans. But I'm not sure that that would help us practically right now, anyhow. We need something that we can take with us here and apply it here. And that is, Philip needed help in Samaria. And he got it from Peter and John. He needed help with the application of the Holy Spirit. And Peter and John were able to lay on the hands, lay their hands onto the Samaritans so that they could receive the Holy Spirit. Philip baptized this man named Simon, who seemed to follow Philip around. But in fact, it is Peter's interaction with Simon that corrected Simon in his life. I'm not sure what kind of conversation there may have been had with that. We don't read about that, but I think we'd be naive to think there wasn't a, a conversation between Philip and Peter about Simon. And whatever that went, maybe Peter, Philip asked for some help from Peter. Maybe Peter just noticed something. maybe it was just the circumstances in the moment. we don't really know. but what was certain that we see is that Simon was with Philip, but it was in fact Peter that corrected Simon. Now God would continue to see uh, continue to use Philip. I and mean, this wasn't a, a bad thing. It's actually a very good thing. But you know, there are tons of scriptures that teach about getting godly advice from mentors is a good thing. There are tons of scriptures that will help us with that in the sense that they encourage us to seek help. They encourage us to have people in our lives that can help us. In fact, one of the things that we see throughout the scripture is how God used people to help other people. You know, in the book of Proverbs, there are several scriptures that if you'd like to look up, look up Proverbs 19 verse 20, Proverbs chapter 15 verses 31 to 33, Proverbs chapter 6, 20 to 23, Proverbs chapter 3 verse 12, Proverbs chapter 16 verse 22, Proverbs chapter 12 verse 5, Proverbs 19 verse 20, Proverbs chapter 12 verse 15, Proverbs chapter 9 verses 7 to 9, And more. Just in the book of Proverbs, we see uh, uh, many uh, scriptures that essentially teach us that getting help, getting advice from people who are godly is a good thing. And not doing that is generally works against you. But one of my favorites is actually in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14. There it teaches us, when there is no guidance, a nation falls, but there is success In the abundance of counselors when there is no guidance a nation falls but there is success in the abundance of counselors Proverbs chapter 11 verse 14 seeking advice is a good thing in fact any business book any career book that that is meant to help you in your career would all say that having a mentor is a good thing. Having a mentor is is very uh, helpful. Even today, we have so many people about thinking about becoming life coaches and mentors and things of that nature, and you can pay for it. But sometimes, if we just have people in our lives to help us, that is what we, what we really need. You know, one time in my life, many, many years ago, there was a... Uh, football player that uh, was very well known. He was a quarterback and had played at a major university and had gone into the NFL and played in the NFL for uh, some time and then had actually been kicked out of the NFL because of some financial, uh, because of some financial misdealings and had been removed permanently from the NFL. And at this time he had been playing uh, arena ball and uh, arena football, and, and it was very popular. And um, at the same time, I was actually in between jobs. It was early on in my career, and I was in between jobs and had volunteered to help a charity, a golf outing. And at this golf outing, uh, I, I, I was able to drive a golf cart, and lo and behold, the person that I got to drive, the, the celebrity that was there that I got to drive around was this former NFL quarterback, and I was so excited. I mean, I knew who he was and certainly knew about some of the financial uh, things, but that had been in the past and was just excited to, uh, to be with this guy. And I was very nervous. If you ever have been near uh, someone famous, you get kind of nervous, and your hands are kind of shaking, kind of sweaty, and your words maybe come out uh, a little bit slurred and a little bit, uh, you know, not, not making sense. <laughs> that, was my, that was me that day. And But we were sitting together, and, and I drove him around during this uh, golf charity outing. And uh, in the process, I asked him because he knew so many people and had done, uh, you know, had so many contacts. Of hey, if you know anybody in the construction world, which was my uh, my major and and my background, um, I, you know that I'm looking for a job. And so we had a, we left it at that, and I had given him my phone number. And uh, um, and and the, and the golf charity outing finished. And later that evening, I'm home with my wife, and we had just finished dinner when all of a sudden. My phone rings. It was this NFL quarterback. I pick up the phone, and I'm like, who's this? (laughs) And he called me and said, hey. He said, "Uh, I do have somebody that I've been working with somebody that, that, uh, that is in your line of work, somebody you might want to give a call because I think they're hiring. And so he gave me this person's contact and gave me their phone number, and, and so I was very excited. I mean, I could not believe I'm talking to this guy. I mean, are you serious? This is a guy who, who played in the NFL. This is a guy who played football at a major university that not just, you know, thousands of people know him, but like millions of people know who this guy is. And here he was talking to me on the phone. And so I got the information of this person of who might be hiring someone uh, from him. And, but then he says, you know what, Phil? He says, I actually need something from you. And I said, oh, fantastic. We can be friends. I can do something for you. No, no worries. I'd love to. He said, I have a check for $5,000 and it's from this business. And I would like to hide it from my wife and deposit it into your bank account and I can go with you to the bank. It'll all be up on the up and up and you can deposit it in your bank and then and then just write me a check out of your account because I can't deposit this check into my account because I want to hide it from my wife. And I said, say what? And so we talked and got some clarification on exactly what he wanted. And so... I said, you know, I said, let me, let me call a friend of mine and let me just think about this for a second. And so I called a friend of mine who was about 10 years older than me and uh, had a little bit more life experience and, and uh, who was very familiar with this former NFL quarterback and his life as well. And we talked and he couldn't believe that he had called me and was excited you know, that, that, uh, that this person had called me. And I said, well, what do you think about this check situation? And in the end, on a level, you know, when we kind of leveled our heads after, you know, coming down off of, a, uh, off of the high of talking to this person on the phone, we thought, you know, it's just not right to hide this from your wife. And so I don't think you should do it. So I took that advice. I said, you know, so I called call the NFL quarterback, back. And I said, hey, I said, you know, thanks for the information, but I can't do that for you. It is not right to hide this money from your wife. And I don't, not going to be a part of that. And so I'm out. Well, needless to say, that was our last phone conversation. Within two weeks, I heard on the TV news that he was in trouble again for, you guessed it, depositing a check into somebody else's account and having that person write a check and the check had bounced. The check he had 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 bounced and he was in trouble again with the law and it was going to be trouble. I had received good advice. I had received advice that not just saved me uh, you know uh, some embarrassment, but it saved me some money and saved me some legal trouble and saved me a headache. It was really good advice. Now, in the same way, I've received bad advice. Some of it I followed. Some of it I knew it was bad from the get-go. But it, whether it was good advice or bad advice, the principle at work here are all those scriptures that we, I mentioned in Proverbs and the several scriptures throughout the Word of God that speak to Getting advice from a godly person is a good thing. Getting help from a person who is wise is a good thing. Getting mentorship from people that can help you is a good thing. You know, in my life, I've received advice, I've received mentorship on relationships. Relationships. My wife and I have always held it very important in our lives to always have uh, some friends of ours who maybe are a little ahead of us or maybe that we look up to involved in our lives just to help us to be friends with and to help us uh, navigate some of the challenges that life brings us. I've gotten advice in my career. In fact, for both my wife and I, some of the best coaching we have received, some of the best mentorship we have received on our character is actually come from work because those are the people that see us, you know, eight, nine hours a day, every day during the week. And so some of the best advice that we have received from on on character is actually come from people that we work with. I've received advice on fixing cars, big financial decisions, Spiritual matters, prayer. We've even gotten help and support in seeking open doors. In fact, when you kind of step back, it's almost foolish not to get help. Because you have people in your life that can help you in the areas that you need the very help in. And sadly, people can get hurt. Bad things can happen without it. And again, sometimes that advice can be bad advice. Some of the mentorship can not be the greatest. But we go back to what does the Bible teach us? What does God teach us? Let me read that Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14 again. When there is no guidance, a nation falls, but there is success in an abundance of counselors. There is success and an abundance of counselors. I think it's important to have a number of people involved with your life. You know, my wife and I talk about having an inner circle, an inner circle people that know the details of your life. And if you're kind of on the more introverted side, that might be one or two people. If you're an extroverted, it might be eight or nine people. But regardless of having an inner circle of people that you trust, people that you know, and people that know you is invaluable. invaluable. It is invaluable. I think limiting that to just one single person, while it might be helpful in some cases, can also be very limiting and make the help very small. I think having a number of people in an inner inner circle is a good thing. In the Blue Ridge Church here, we have small groups, groups of of, uh, families, groups of, of younger people, groups of older people groups of, of people with younger kids where they can meet their needs maybe on a bigger scale and have conversations on a bigger scale of things that are going on in our lives. I think you get the best of both worlds if you have an inner circle group and a bigger group to help you to navigate many of the challenges that come in, in our lives and that we have to face. but you know, it always comes down to us. It comes down to us of having that inner circle that we are actually the ones to go get the help. We are the ones to seek the help and the input. We are the ones to be open with our lives. It's got to be you that does the seeking. So whether you're... Point one today, seeking the open doors, or two, seeking the help. Seek is an action verb that is predicated on your effort. I want to encourage you with that today. Seek the open doors. What are the things, the obstacles that are in front of you, the detour signs that are blocking you spiritually, that are holding you up? Where is the open door? Maybe it is simply just getting into your Bible in a better way. Maybe it is simply just getting help of asking someone to pray with you or praying uh, in a more effective way to help you. Maybe a specific advice on finances, career, children, parenting. So many things that we can get help in. But it's got to be you that seeks It's got to be you that makes the effort. It's got to be you that imitates Philip who went to Samaria and just kept on doing what he had been doing in Jerusalem. It's got to be you, just like Philip, who got the help that he needed from Peter and from John. That, my friends, is a key to regrouping, to looking for the open doors and seeking the help that is right before us. I hope that was helpful, and if you liked it and would like to hear more, please don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast. And if you are in the Charlottesville, Virginia area and would like to stop in and visit us at a Sunday service, please send us a note or visit our website at blueridgedisciples.org for more information.